What is going on, everyone? Welcome to this week's Pardon the Disruption. We have an amazing panelist up here. This show surely will not disappoint. The questions are on point as well, regardless of what Brewer has said. Real quick, before we get into it, I want to go ahead and introduce myself. I'm your host, Matthew Potter. I'm your short sale guy, hedge fund connection, and co-founder of The Family Tree over at Real Broker. Hit me up if I can help you grow your business in any way whatsoever. Real quick, uh, before we get into introductions, how we do things around here, five pre-selected questions, 45 seconds for each one of our esteemed guests to go ahead and answer, then two minutes to chop it up, and then we will award a point based on best answer most days or favoritism based on how I'm feeling. So good luck to everybody. Real quick, we're going to go ahead and start with our reigning champion from last week, coming in with the five points at the end. Just absolutely crushed everyone's dreams. RJ Bates the third. Introduce yourself. What's up, guys? RJ Bates the third here from Titanium Investments, and I just want to kick off today's show with our first sponsor. It's <laughs> La Quinta. That's right. La Quinta is actually sponsoring. Pardon the disruption. Your stay might be like. Oh damn it! I totally oh. messed it up. <laughs> It was going to be funny. Insert laugh. I was going to make a joke about Robert <laughs> Kiyosaki, but I'll get him there. Damn it. Uh, we'll give you an A for effort. Absolute F on execution there. <laughs> All right. Next up, we have Mr. Disruptor himself, Steve Trang. Introduce yourself. Steve Trang, we solve sales problems. We're also starting cults. I watched this great documentary on Netflix about it, how to start a cult. Sent RJ the book. He's not participating, so we'll see what happens with that. <laughs> We we all need an RJ in our cult. Absolutely. Next up, we have Leon. Do not forget the G Barnes. Go ahead and introduce yourself. What's up, everyone? Leon G Barnes with the Collective Genius. And I am ashamed to say that that is our representation of our champion. That's how a champion starts off our show right there. <laughs> if he wins today, I am really checking new math that you're doing, Potter. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Last week, you made up new rules and started multiplying. So hopefully we can actually play by the rules today. Looking forward to it. Fuzzy Look, math. Rule, rule, <laughs> rules are meant to be broken, and fuzzy math is our favorite math around here. <laughs> Speaking of fuzzy math, last but certainly not least, we have coming to us the mayor of York, Pennsylvania, Eric Brewer. Say hi to the people. What's up, y'all? Um, my name is Eric Brewer. I am actually, just to give you a short resume, I am RJ's security. Um, we talked a little bit before the show about with his newfound stardom, he's attracted stalkers, haters. Uh, so in the interest of safety, uh, I am new uh, in charge of his security online and in person. I am Steve Trang's sales coach, uh, Leon Barnes' stylist. And uh, I am actually, unlike RJ, a member of the Whale Club, look it up, um, uh, you should be in the Whale Club, uh, very limited audience there. Um, RJ was uh, unable to get approved, but I would encourage everybody that's listening to apply. Absolutely. And real quick, before we uh, get into it, don't forget to use affiliate code Bates with Mr. Clean Security Services over there. Thank you. <laughs> All right. We're going to go ahead and get into it with question number one. We have, do, do, do. Let's see. <clears throat> what do you think of Robert Kaius? Yeah, Kiyosaki's comments that America is broke and the Fed has been smoking fantasy weed. This ought to be great. Start us off, RJ. 
Well, the good news is, even though I stumbled and bumbled, my uh, my reading of our first sponsorship there of Laquita is still better than Steve Train reading all the other sponsorships we get here. So. Uh, you know, this is hilarious. This guy literally, it, he, he became wealthy by selling smoking fantasy weed to these people with these hotel seminars where he charges 25, 40, 50. I saw online all the way up to $90,000. And I know he's talking about America and the Fed and everything. Uh, I just, the the more that I read about Robert Kiyosaki, the the less I like the guy. I mean, I, I, just, I just don't understand why he is pushing some of the things that he pushes. And I, I think we can all agree that we don't like where we're at as a country and with raising the debt ceiling and things like that. But coming from a guy that has literally made his wealth by by pushing people into being broke, it's kind of weird that he's complaining about our country pushing or being <clears throat> broke. It just feels awkward. Little do as I say, not as I do, maybe there. All right. All right, Steve, what are you what are your thoughts? It should come as no surprise that I completely agree with him. Um, I do think that our country is completely broke. And uh, the only difference between what our country is doing and what most people with bad credit uh, uh, can't do is that we can just print more money and just raise our credit ceiling, right? Um, you know, one of the things that was really impressive to me when I was really focused on my realtor career was people that had 400 credit scores. Like the amount of work required to get a 400 credit score means you had to screw your credit, go get a forgiveness and get more credit screw that guy get forgiveness and get more credit and then screw that guy you had to screw like at least three different times to get your credit to 400s and i think america is uh is past that 400 credit person we're rolling on 350 around here now steve hopefully not the voice of experience on screwing people over on credit we hope not no, i got to witness it, got to witness it. <laughs> fantastic all right next up Leon, what are your thoughts? Well, first off, um, going back to last week with Elon Musk and some of the things that he was talking about with, with Twitter, I think this is, RJ, is, is another opportunity for Robert to get in front uh, with clickbait to get more exposure. And, and that's what it, I think all this comes from. Because second, what's new? You know, the, the quote in there, America's debt is going up. In our lifetime, has that changed? It's continued to go up. You know, if you watch this show with any regularity, going back a few months, we've talked about this, that at some point there will be a reckoning um, that it has to happen. Uh, but it, it's, it, it happens. There are cycles to this. But America's debt is going up is, is nothing new. Again, if you're a real estate investor or somebody that's watching this show because you're interested in doing that, get liquid as you possibly can because – this, these things cycle, but what hasn't changed in our lifetime is debt going up. I mean, you're certainly not wrong there. I think our debt is now $35 trillion or something like that, and it's going up like a trillion a day. It's ridiculous. All right, next up, Eric, what are your thoughts? Um, I think like 107 years ago, Kiyosaki was relevant, right? He's still riding the, <laughs> the waves of that attention. Um, so this really even shouldn't be a question. Shame on us for giving him the attention, right? But like, if you boil it down to what does it mean if you're broke? How does that ultimately impact the people on this call? How does it impact the people um, watching this? 
um, at the end of the day, I've, I, I, at the beginning of my career, I was hyper focused on like local economics, like local, like, do I have money? And over time, my awareness or concern about more global economics has expanded. And yes, we are broke. But number two is, what does that mean long term? And when I first got started in the car business, uh, we happened to be close to, to Baltimore. And we had this relationship with a sports agency that would bring us young athletes. And a lot of those would have like 300 credit scores and they, they wanted to buy like a Toyota Land Cruiser or a Mercedes Benz. And we could get banks to lend these athletes money based on future earning potential. Like, hey, you have bad credit now, but your future earning potential is so high, we'll lend you money because we believe that you can pay. So what's the U.S.'s future earning potential? It is higher than anywhere else in the in the world for one reason. We have the largest number number of people in our population that are in high earning, high spending age, which it's this characteristic or statistic they look at. It's like between the age of 24 and 60, who's going to work the hardest and spend the most money? If you follow that one trend on global economics, that's a great place to invest because these people are going to work hard. They're going to spend a shit ton of money in the world. U.S. has more people in that age bracket. I think we're fine because we got long-term earning potential. Steve, don't you find it because you're the you seem like the only person here that was like completely okay with Kiyosaki saying this. Wonder uh, why? It, don't you find <laughs> it a little bit disingenuous that he's complaining about the U.S. just printing more money and raising the debt ceiling and all of this? When literally that's what he does to make his money, he says, go to the back of the room. And our credit specialists, they'll boost the ball capital <laughs> one, and they'll get your so, credit line all the way up to 60000 and then you give it to me, and I'll so, give you that fantasy smoke weed, baby. I'm going to be really careful <laughs> with my words here. I'm going to be really cautious here because I don't want to get sued by this guy. Uh, so my understanding, this is hearsay, not my own personal opinion, is that when he was doing all those events, is because he didn't have the money himself and he had to license his name. So he was getting paid to license that product that he had <clears throat> no say in because he didn't have money. The other thing too is, you know how they say sometimes you don't want to meet your hero? Well, I got a chance to meet Kiyosaki. Yeah, sometimes you don't want to meet your heroes. I don't think he's doing this for attention. I think he's that cranky, 90 year old person you meet when you go into their home and they're ranting and raving. I think this is, this is really him. Everything you said didn't make it better. It just made it. Worse. Didn't make it better. I'm just giving some context to it. Uh, I'll say this. Um, he, you know, from the, this is much to do about nothing. His quotes, cause there's nothing new here that we're really taking from this, but I will say this. I'm very thankful and there's a lot of us uh, real estate investors across the U.S. that I talked to that got their start by picking up that book when they were in the military or something along those lines. So there's some good that some hope that was given and some wealth building that was given there. But this is much to do about that. So a couple of things on that. Absolutely agree with uh, what Leon just said there. Leon's ultimately going to give the point that round, just so you guys know. But I have to say, for the first time ever, we have the most informed chat ever because everybody agreed that Brewer got 0%. And for that, we're thankful. <laughs> we are thankful. Mr. Mercedes over there. All right, next up, question number two. 
I love you, Brewer. I really do. <laughs> With retirement, pension, and income becoming a hot topic in the news cycle, what retirement investments would you recommend to someone who saved $1 million for their retirement? Go ahead and start us off, Leon. Well, first of all, I forgot to ask if that uh, person that Eric sold the car to or multiple Ravens that he sold the car to was you know, Ray Lewis and, and his friends, but uh, <laughs> we'll ask that off, off air. Um, you know, we're in off real estate, clock. so- this is a this is a question that for us, I mean, I think it's going to be hard for many of us not to say that someone that has <clears throat> done well for themselves to rate to to save a million dollars in their pension or their retirement. Um, you know, I would just ask, what's their end goal? This is something that um, anytime I'm asking a, a, an investor whether they want to actively in, uh, invest or passively invest, what's the end goal in mind? And real estate is ultimately going to be the answer, whether that's passively or uh, or actively. Let's pursue that. That's that would be uh, what advice I would give. Solid as always, absolutely sturdy as a tree, Leon G. Barnes. All right, Brewer. What about you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, the the tendency here is, I mean, each person here, except for Steve's, pretty active in real estate. So there's this tendency <laughs> for us to like side towards real estate right but i think for anybody that's watching like this could literally change i think you know when we're talking about some of the stuff we've seen post covid there's a lot that's changing right now whether it's the debt ceiling it's like that's one tiny element of the total economic picture like that statistic i gave you about earning potential based on age and number of population that came from a coach of mine i i didn't know that until three months ago right there's thousands of, of, of things that weigh into to what is a good investment today and what it might be 10 years ago. My banker emailed me and was like, hey, we have a 15-month CD at 7%. If you can get CDs at 7%, you got a million bucks, you might want to put it there. So I think we're all going to tend to say real estate because we've experienced a tremendous amount of success. It feels like for the next 20 years, that's a safe place. But I think you need to take a long, hard look at what your short-term goals are what you need to live off of passively in that million bucks probably boil down to the top three. That's uh, actually some amazing insight. I know I bust your chops a lot, Brewer, but that's really well thought out. We appreciate you bringing that today. <clears throat> All right, RJ, what are your thoughts? They had a million dollars. I would ask them, how much is your living expenses going to cost you per month? What do you want to live off of? Is it five grand? Is it 10 grand? What is that? Reverse engineer that, show them how to do the Burr strategy, buy properties, refinance them, pull most of your money back out, hire property management company, get them up to the point where they own enough rental properties where their active income is covered. Eventually get them up to the point where that's doubled to for the, the sake of inflation for however long the remaining days are. And, and they should be good. They should still have the majority of their investment there. And to Eric's point, because they're refinancing and pulling majority of their cash out, they can then go put that in a CD for 7% or like the majority of them, 1%, uh, whatever you can find out there. Uh, but the active income and, and for the future is covered with the real estate. That CD is only offered to Whale Club members, RJ, just so you know. <laughs> just just wanted to share that with you, brother. <laughs> All right, Steve, what are your thoughts? Uh, I think uh, on top of what Leon and, and Eric and RJ are talking about is 
you know, on top of like what, what they're trying to accomplish right now in short term and long term, I'd also ask an additional question as far as where the million dollar is uh, parked, right? Because if it's in a self-directed IRA or something like that, I might suggest going towards lending, right? But if it's outside of a retirement uh, uh, account, I might suggest acquiring assets, right? Because depending on your tax circumstances, different uh, investment vehicles might make sense. Another question I would want to ask them is how did you happen to come on to the million dollars because it might be just keep doing what you've been doing potentially like what you've done has worked so far how can we figure out how to do more of that or get better at that instead of you know changing direction so i figure out how they got that in the first place figure out all those other questions guys asked and figure out where the money is today to suggest which way which direction to go Steve, on your note on lending, I, I would suggest if they're going to do that, it's with owner occupant seller finance notes. Um, so it's a, a more stable. Um, you're getting that down payment from the, the owner occupant and it's a more long term note rather than doing something like private money or hard money where there's quicker turnover. Um, and maybe higher. I'd be worried about that with the owner occupant because with Dodd Frank and everything else, you can get in a lot of trouble lending to to yeah. owner occupant. Well, then you're not like as liquid either I mean, it makes a good point yeah. right but i think like if you think about down payment if i lend rj a million bucks to buy a property and he's buying it for 650 there's a de facto down payment there right he negotiated equity the bottom line is all the down payment is doing is reducing the principal amount of the loan in regards to the value I would personally probably go more towards the shorter term hard money loans where there's more likely to be equity. You're, you're lending to an investor that has a proven track record versus the installment sales agreements, probably a person that has a horrible trade. It's like that 350 credit score we talked about, right? So like, and all the down payment is doing is potentially reducing the loan amount. I, I think you can do either, but I like the liquidity of saying, I gave RJ a million bucks. It's a one year balloon. He pays me 10%. I have first lien position on any property he does. And at the end of the year, if I want my million two back, cause I made a decent amount of money, I can move on to the next thing. But again, I think it goes back to like Strategy. each person might have a different decision based on their, exactly. their risk threshold. Um, <clears throat> give it to Kiyosaki, right. Or someone from his camp. And just invest it with them. <laughs> I, think you, I can think you can marry the, the, the two here to what Eric was saying earlier right now, because the market has shifted uh, just a year and a half ago. If you try to put money in a CD, good luck on getting 1% in 15 to 24 months today. That's completely different. They're between five and 6% for most that you see being advertised a good rule of thumb in this particular case, again, based upon your short and long-term goals, would it be to diversify some of that, right? You could put some money in some CD, in a, into a CD, and then the, the, the passive that I was talking about earlier is just that, the private lending side. I mean, we could turn a million dollars into eighty dollars to $120,000, depending upon the investor that you're working with um, in, in just a year's time. And again, going back to Steve's point, you want to make sure that you're looking from a tax perspective, whether that's through self-directed IRA or just cash um, through. But I mean, there's a there's a lot of opportunity with that liquid. So going back to the lending side of these, I completely disagree with you guys. I, I think it's, you can easily buy rental properties that need zero rehab at 70 to 75% of full market value. 
take that down with your cash, immediately refi, pull all of your cash out, sell it on terms, do a wrap, get your $10,000, $15,000 down payment. You can immediately put that towards your principal. You're in a very secure position. And and I don't understand the, the comment about you could get in trouble with Dodd-Frank. As long as you're, you're using the RMLO, you're, you're fine. You're assuming that's a seasoned investor. They can just as easily put up a million bucks and watch it vanish because they paid too much, over-renovated. The property doesn't appraise enough for them to burn. Oh, you if they're expecting... That goes back to Steve's comment. If you made your million through investing, you would just continue to do that. I think if we're talking to an audience that that isn't an active investor and they have a million bucks and you're getting them to go out and either lend to a, an owner occupant, uh, the dot frank means like if you if you didn't properly qualify them for the loan, if it's somehow considered predatory, you'll end up in prison and then your million bucks doesn't matter. That's why or, you're an RMLO. And you forgot the first part of my my answer, which is you work with titanium investments because then we just hold your hand through the whole process. You you must not RJ, attention. When I was talking about the the, the dot frank thing, not necessarily affiliate code to jail, PTD. but it's harder. <laughs> It's harder to foreclose, right? If someone's not performing, it's a lot more work lending to owner occupants. It's the reason why most lenders won't, uh, hard money lenders or private lenders won't lend to owner occupant. The other thing, too, when we're talking about buying assets outside, if it's not a self directed IRA, the only reason why I don't recommend buying assets inside your self directed IRA is because you don't get the depreciation anymore, right? There's no tax benefit of owning it inside a self directed IRA. But if you own it outside a self directed IRA, you are getting the depreciation, you are getting the write offs. That's the only reason why I was saying, depending on where the money was parked. All right, this was actually a lot better of a set of answers than I was expecting. Like, I'm I'm not going to lie. Like, it really was. Um, that tells you how I much you love the question. <laughs> Look, it, it's, a good, it's a thought-provoking question. It definitely is. I mean, here's the thing that's wild. My wife actually thinks that Brewer had the best answer. So, that I mean, that should tell you how thought-provoking this is. That being said... Um, Going to go ahead and throw this out there. I don't think that my wife is 100% correct on that. I'm actually going to award the point to Steve with the self-directed IRA side of it because I've seen that vehicle used, and I do understand that. I'm not saying the Brewer's answer wasn't good. Everybody's answer was actually good. Well, at least no. we all agree that RJ's wasn't, though. Like, <laughs> That's, like everyone that disagreed not... that like you shouldn't run out and start burring properties like if you earned your and saved a million bucks after see, working for see, but uh, he does he does make a valid point he, of if yeah, you, you work had a with nice him. thirty year career at the Department of Transportation, why don't you roll <laughs> your life savings at the crap table and buy a flip and split level in Dallas? I just like, learned that I'm on a real estate podcast with a bunch of guys that don't know how to sell or finance. That's that's pretty adorable. We're not giving ourselves advice, RJ. You're not. Steve's not asking what to do with the million bucks, right? I like, mean. Maybe there's should, actually, but unlike your podcast, there's an entire audience out there that listens to this stuff. So like, <laughs> you got to be responsible about the advice that we give. <laughs> All right. Real quick, before we get into the next question, I'm going to send it over to Steve. Go ahead and read our sponsorship for today. All right. So uh, this round is brought to you by salesdisruptors.com. We've had uh, 15 people join our community in just in the last couple of weeks. And we're seeing a ton of engagement, ton of activity. And what is most exciting for me is we're seeing people closing more deals right now. So if you believe in sales turning into income, we invite you to join us at salesdisruptors.com. Excellent. Thank you, Steve. We do appreciate it. 
All right, next up, this is going to be a great question. I better get some good answers out of you guys. All right, would you allow your likeness to be used for low compensation to be a part of something you know millions would consume? Start us off, Steve. Uh, I mean, it really depends on how they're consuming it, right? I mean, if this is like OnlyFans, absolutely not. (laughs) But if it's like NIL, then hell yeah, right? Like, it really depends on... What are we talking about here? Where is this being consumed? Uh, uh, I've said before, right? Everyone's got a price. I have a price, uh, but it would have to be something I, I think is worthwhile. So um, if it's uh, NIL, if it's, um, I don't know, some, any, any other form of 18 uh, or universal entertainment versus adult-only entertainment, then yeah, hell yeah, that'd be great. Good Lord, have mercy. All right. The last thing that I'm taking away from that is, number one, no one wants to think about Steve on OnlyFans. They will now. It's like, don't think of a red elephant. No. No. I need a mute button immediately. As soon as you said OnlyFans, we should have just disconnected the feed. Why is Leon holding bleach near his eyes? (laughs) Because he's the only smart one right now. (laughs) All right, Leon, um, please tell us that you're going to class this up. You go ahead and go. So the good news is I can only legally see out of one eye. So if I cover this one, I can't uh, even think or see uh, what uh, Steve just said. And I don't think he uh, listened or read the question. It is your likeness to be used for uh, low compensation. So NIL is not low compensation. This all depends um, on can I monetize this and springboard this likeness to else, right? Texas Chainsaw Massacre in the background. So, Jesus. <laughs> you guys might want to check the studio there. New, new sound check, effect. <laughs> and check your underwear while you're at it. So um, let's go back to this question. If you can springboard it to monetize, uh, then yes. Uh, but here's what it depends upon. Am I going to be ShamWow guy? No. Chip and Joanna, that I can take this and monetize it? Absolutely. That's that's how I would go about doing it. Only that way if I could springboard it to something like what Chip and Joanna have done with their show. There we go. Leon always brings us back to the focus that we're going for. We appreciate that. We should, we should have, like, a Leon. Like, Leon should have his own show like Chip and Joanna. He should. All right, Brewer, I'm looking I'm love, looking love. at you over there. All right, what are your thoughts? Oh, it's- um, Yeah, I think at the end of the day, like, it's like <laughs> weed whacking outside my window. I had to throw a pen at him. Um, I thought maybe RJ was getting some manscaping done. But... Uh, <laughs> The, uh, I think the answer is, if, if that's the only option, all of us right now are allowing our likeness to be used for zero uh, compensation. So um, certainly, right? It's in an effort to springboard um, the attention that, that comes as a result of being attached to this brand, which is awesome. So um, I think at the end of the day, yes, because attention is, is currency, right? So if you can attach your likeness to something that's going to get you millions of, uh, of, of eyeballs, uh, on you and your product, absolutely. What I would try and do is, if that's coming from a, a startup or something like that, is negotiate some piece of equity, which isn't compensation on the front end. 
Uh, one of my favorite artists of all time, 50 Cent, did one of the best deals of all time where he gave up like $200,000 worth of a lump sum payment and interest for like 10 or 20% of vitamin water. And then that company eventually sold to, to Coca-Cola for like a billion dollars. And he walked away with like a hundred million. He allowed his likeness to be used for very low or little compensation. And at the end of that, he walked away with the, probably the one of the biggest lump sum payments he's ever got. And that guy's made some extraordinary deals. So yes, but try and get a little piece of equity if you can in the, in, in the beginning. Solid. That's actually great advice there, bro. We appreciate that. All right. Last, certainly not least, what you, what you got? You cleanly manscaped over there. Hit, hit us, RJ. <laughs> this is like that scene from the movie uh, We Are the Millers where Jennifer Aniston looks at the guy and she's like, you're getting paid $500,000 and you were only going to give me thirty. And then the daughter's like, you're getting thirty. I was only getting 1000 And then the son's like, you're getting, you're getting paid? paid? You know, I'm like, what's happening right now? You're asking a bunch of guys that are doing this for free so 27 people can watch us today. <laughs> what is Steve talking about with this? Like, I don't know. I mean, you know, how many people are going to consume it and how are they going to consume it? I mean, listen, the question stems from the NCAA football players complaining about their low payout for the EA Sports video game that's going to come out in 2024. I don't know if they're just a lot smarter than I was when I was in college, but I would have just thought it would be cool that I was in the game. These guys are complaining about getting low compensation. It's like, dude, you're going to get plenty of opportunities to make your money on other NIL deals. Get over it. Enjoy playing yourself in the game with your buddies and get over yourself. You guys, uh, speaking of the games, do you know one uh, famous basketball player that does not allow any of the games to use his likeness just because of this reason? Now, he's already rich, obviously, but th there's one guy that doesn't allow Jordan. him to use his likeness. Nope, Jordan's in games. I don't Charles know Barkley, the only Barkley. guy. Yeah. You, if you play, if you play with NBA Chuck. and you play with the Sixers all-time team, unfortunately, you do not get Chuck. Sons, you do not get Chuck. He will not allow his likeness to be used for low compensation uh, in these games. But you know, we're talking about a millionaire here, and so when it comes to this, uh, you know, less compensation as long as you can either get equity to Eric's point, or the ability to still own your own likeness so you can springboard it is, is the best answer here. How do I pay so that I can be an EA sports game? Like that's what I want to figure out. Right? Well, you can create your own person once you get into those games. You just can't. But it won't be millions of people consuming it. Yeah, the fact that they're complaining about the fact that there's gonna be low compensation is like, just be good and you'll make your money elsewhere. Right. Well, that's the problem, Steve. I, I might be incorrect about this, but I believe this was coming from some of the lower tier, like Big Ten schools, where none of their players are like in contention to be Heisman contenders or anything like that. They were the ones that were complaining about it. And it's like, I'm sorry that you're not good enough to get high paying NIL deals from somewhere else, but it, it's just a numbers game in, in this regard. They have to include every single player that plays NCAA football. I think there's like 130 schools. There can only be so much money given out, and it has to be yeah. equally shared. 
my friend who was never empathetic, his words would always be sucks to suck. <laughs> I, I don't know why Steve's exposing me right there. Thanks, bud. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're all speechless because Steve said he had a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. I love I love coming. This is my favorite part of the week. Yeah, it's great. What he what he left out is his friend was saying that to him. <laughs> it wasn't like some some advice he was giving to somebody else. He literally says that to Steve all the time. Thank you. Oh Eric. man, appreciate that. I yeah. the this was definitely this didn't disappoint on any level. And just to go ahead and drive the point home a little bit more. We're going to just continue to pile on Steve. Everybody else is getting a point except for Mr. OnlyFans over there. Um, he's not. He's not? not getting. Because you have I am scarred. now getting an OnlyFans account after this. Oh, my God. Please don't. OnlyFansDestructors.com. Check it I out. I want feet. 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 Feet, Potter, oh my feet God. finder. Potter, you got to be careful here, man. You, you went against your wife, so you're already sleeping on the couch. And if I show up next week and you're not the host, we know why. No, don't worry about that. That's not going to happen. <laughs> All right. Real quick, before we get to our next question, uh, going to read a uh, advertisement from another sponsor that we have over here, which is the family tree over at Real Broker. If you are looking to make a change in your real estate business, check out therealfamilytree.com and schedule your collaboration call with us. We will help you grow your real estate business. All right. Next up, we have... Do, do, do what question four already man we're actually making good time today all right this question is is eric brewer's actual personal favorite for today is asset protection overrated and with regards to this question so that our audience knows we're talking about the uh push that every single property you own should be in a separate llc so let's go ahead and start it off with anyone other than steve so we'll start with uh rj today on this one <laughs> listen um <laughs> no <laughs> if, if you want to help out your guru and sign up for prime corporate services uh, and, and you know just rack up the assets um then yeah you know help out your guru um, outside of that, should every LLC or should every rental property have its own LLC? I don't believe that, um, is asset protection important to a certain degree? Yes. Um, but it's, it's not as, uh, such a big deal as some educators make it out to be. This is something that you can simply have a conversation with an attorney. They will set it up for you and you move on about your life. It doesn't have to be this big you know ordeal where you have to hire these companies that are charging you two thousand dollars to set up a texas llc or anything like that i i do think it's extremely overrated and it's a fear tactic to sell affiliate income that's what i think it is very fair i mean honestly if you have more llcs than deals closed mm, it's probably not the road to go down all right steve what about you mm. <laughs> he might actually get a point this round. Eric, Give the man a point. Give him Eric, a point. Remember best, answer, said, best answer yet. Remember when you said airspace? That's, there it is. That's what he gets. This is what he gets. That's, he gets. We're that's disappointed Steve right there. 
All right. Uh, we'll go ahead and come back for Steve's uh, thoughts on this one. We're going to go ahead and skip it on over to Leon. What you got? So is asset, asset protection overrated? No, it's not overrated. Um, but there's no cookie cutter answer that you should be given by any guru to RJ's point that you need to do everything the same as another investor. Because as Eric and I often say, there are levels to this game. And uh, if you're you know wealthy and you've built wealth, real estate allows for that. And you've got 100 plus doors, then yes, you should be looking at asset protection at a much higher level. But if you've got four doors in, in, in 10 years, uh, is it as important uh, to you um, as that individual with 100 plus doors? Uh, no, uh, but it is something that you should consult when setting up any LLC and buying any property. You should consult someone local to your market that is um, an attorney and someone that understands this at a high level. It's it's it's. It has been blown out of proportion, in my opinion, in the past, but it's something that each individual person at their particular level at that time should be looking into. Very nice. Always detailed. Always brings the cliff notes with him. Leon, we appreciate you. All right, we're going to go ahead and kick it back over to Steve before, you know, he goes back down. So, Steve, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, kind of what Leon was just saying a moment ago. You know, I think it's a tad overrated. You look at all these nightmare stories, you got all these uh, companies that sell asset protection, this and that. But I'm trying to think of how many people that we know have ran to a situation where they lost a significant portion of their assets in, in these scenarios. Like you got, uh, you got umbrella life insurance, you got general insurance. You can settle for a lot of these claims. There's a lot of people pushing this, uh, this, this asset protection, but I haven't seen any situations that I'm aware of where it's it's necessary i guess so i think it's something that you want to look at when you get a little bit further down the road but you have all these guys from the get-go creating lc when they start their company you got companies suggesting getting lc for every single property i think it's important to look at when you get to a certain milestone <laughs> but i think it's overrated up until you get to that point fair fair thank you for regurgitating leon's answer we appreciate I'm sorry. it sorry if my internet worked i would have heard it it's <laughs> yeah i'm sorry 24.99 a month that's what we're rolling on over here all right brewer what are your thoughts on uh asset protection i'm glad we cleaned it up a little bit because that do you need a separate llc for every rental property question was just nagging the piss out of me it was probably the worst question suggestion i've ever seen uh, the answer is you, you do need Sugar, asset sugar coat it for us, bro. <laughs> There's nothing worse than, you know, creating wealth and legacy and assets and then having some type of legal loophole that comes and takes that away, right? So it's kind of like auto insurance. I've been paying auto insurance for 40 years. I've, knock on wood, never needed it. But when that day comes, I don't want to be the guy riding around, you know, with, with my tags all wrong and the famous words of, Cedric the Entertainer, and no insurance, and end up in a situation to where you know I, I have an asset that that's at risk and taken from me. Um, every year, there's over like 20 million lawsuits filed. So if 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 we don't, unfortunately, in this country, in this atmosphere that we're in, protect our assets, whether it's a tenant issue, someone slipped and fall on on a rental property or something, we literally can have all of our wealth and hard work evaporated. So. 
I would consult with a legal professional about your individual situation, but I would say the topic of asset protection protection could, particularly as you grow, becomes more and more prevalent and important. Here's the reason why I am, I, I say it's over overrated, okay? Because it's on a daily basis that I see someone post something along the lines in a Facebook group that says, I've got my trust and then I've got my LLCs in that trust. What list should I pull so I can talk to homeowners? And yep. it's like, <laughs> holy shit, like, bro, <laughs> go get your five grand back, all right? So yep. we can actually talk to someone. That's the reason why I have a problem with it. Should you have asset protection? Sure, but this is just as simple as talking to an attorney that, that could say, yeah, I could set this up for you, and it's it's over. Yes. And there's a there's there's again levels. There's good, better, and best, right? As you get into a situation where you have wealth that is built and you have thousands of properties and commercial assets and all of these type of things, if somebody has a slip and fall, which you know, God forbid that happens, but there's chances of that, then you want to be protected because guess what attorneys love to find? They love to find someone to go after that actually has what? Money. Right. So for their client, because they get a big percentage of that. So should you have it, um, especially if you have built that wealth over a 20, 30, 40 year period? Absolutely. But to RJ's point, do some deals, <laughs> get some wealth first before you go out and spend all this money on protecting what limited assets you have. Yeah, if you don't I mean, have uh, assets, you don't need asset protection. So if, if you're yeah. prioritizing insuring your assets before you've secured your assets, you may be working out of order. Yeah, I've, I've done, I've been a party of, you know, over a thousand transactions and there's only been one lawsuit ever where I've had to worry about that. One in all this time. Now we get sued here and there. We get frivolous lawsuits that we just get thrown out. But we only have one lawsuit where I've ever actually been concerned about my financial well-being. So. And, and it's a good point, Steve. In this business, uh, generally, if you're doing it at a high level, someone's going to file a lawsuit on you. That, that That's going to happen. So you definitely need protection if you're doing this business at a high level. But again, <laughs> I think Eric said it best. <laughs> don't worry about gaining the assets before you start trying to protect what you don't have. Yeah. Always the most well-informed panel in real estate right here. These four uh, shout out to CJ not being here today to participate in this question. Um, going to go, going to go ahead and go just because of the PCS. I, I got to hit RJ with the point because you know, he, he's not, he's not wrong here. And it, it's like I said, ultimately at the end of the day, if, if you have more LLCs than you have deals that you've done, you've done it backwards. And I think that's pretty much what everybody's agreeing on. You have to scale your asset protection as it increases. So, all right, we're going to go ahead and get into our next question. This one has been a little bit of a hot topic. Um, I've seen this one a lot and kind of really want to see what your guys' take and thoughts are on this one. There appears to be a split of roughly about 50-50 in the investment community on whether or not it's appropriate to reach out to provide help by purchasing properties right after a natural disaster. 
how long after a natural disaster should investment companies wait to negotiate on properties affected by the disaster? Obviously, this is about what's happening right now in Maui. Go ahead and start us off, RJ. So in this case, we're doing outbound marketing because we're reaching out to them, right? So in that case, you're going to pull some sort of list and you are going to find out that you're triggered by tax default, vacancy, liens, pre-foreclosure, something along those lines. The natural disaster could enhance their desire and their need to sell the house quickly. So I don't think that it's inappropriate as long as you're reaching out with some level of empathy towards their situation to ask if they need to sell the property. The key here is, is that you continue to follow up. This is very similar to probate situations. Investors love to reach out to probates immediately. And some of those are very lengthy processes. Are you still following up with that probate a year later? Are you still following up with the area that was impacted by the natural disaster a year later? I don't think that there's a time frame. It's just about the consistency of you talking to sellers. I see that insight right there. It's almost uh, it's the rapport and the genuine place of trying to come, you know, to help. That's what it is rather than just trying to hit a quick, you know, wholesale or fix and flip, whatever it may be. All right, Steve, what are your thoughts on this? I think the people that are saying you should not reach out to them have a negative view on our industry. Um, I, I believe that they're looking at us as vultures, right? But someone has to help these people. These people, I mean, some of these people, some of these people are in dire straits. Some of these people need money, food, whatever. So to say no one should reach out to them, what's the alternative for some of these people? Be left alone? be homeless right so i think that there's this idea that we shouldn't reach out to these people for your financial benefit this is the world we live in we're not we're not doing things without care for our financial benefit but at the end of the day are we able to help a person out of a bad situation if you don't believe you can help them out of a bad situation they don't reach out to them but if you believe that you can help someone in a really negative uh, spot in their life going through one going through the worst time of their lives, you don't believe you can help them, then don't reach out to them. But if you believe you can help someone out of a bad spot, then I think you're doing a disservice not reaching out to them. Okay. Good, good insights. Good insights. All right. What about you, Leon? What are your thoughts on this? It's a pretty sensitive subject here. Um, I think there's a classy way to handle this, and there's definitely a douchey way to handle this. Um, we talked about this less than a year ago just south of me with the hurricane. We had a conversation on this show about this. That's, you know, that's 40 minutes away from me. I lived in Hawaii for three years. Uh, I spent a lot of time in downtown Lahaina talking to business owners, selling advertising uh, in 2011, 12, and 13. Uh, it is a great community. Uh, it is, the Hawaiian islands are some of the most isolated islands in the world. Um, there is a community aspect there. And I think that, you know, if you are reaching out uh, in Hawaii, Ohana means family and family is important to the culture. If you are reaching out from the mainland to and, and bothering these people, when some of them, half of the, 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 the land there has not been, um, they haven't, you know, gotten to a point where they found everybody yet. You, you're, you're reaching out to people that might not have found their loved ones yet. 
this is important that you take that into consideration. I think if you offer help and solutions, I think it is a very classy gesture um, to help. But if you're just smiling and dialing and texting all these, I mean, you, you, are, you run the risk of talking to people that have loved ones that have passed away and they have not found them yet. So I would just be cautious on how you, how you go after it. If you offer solutions and help, I think you can do it in a classy way. There we go. That's a, that's a little bit deeper dive there, uh, especially from someone that's lived on uh, the island. So thank you for that, Leon. All right, Brewer, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, there's a couple different moving parts here. Um, to Steve's point, I think the question stems from like this ambulance chaser sort of mentality where our industry generally gets negative feedback because of what seems like opportunistic um, focused marketing. Uh, RJ mentioned how a lot of the folks that, that reach out to investors like us are facing some type of financial difficulty, maybe a probate situation. I would say the devastation that we've seen there probably trumps any financial distress or probate situation we've ever seen, right? Like you've, you've literally seen um, the place that you live be devastated. Like I've seen some video, it's, it's gone, right? What used to be there is gone. From a straight clinical business perspective, everybody should go there. There's going to be more opportunity there to buy property at a deep discount than we'll ever be able to recreate in our backyard. If you care, which uh, it's a big if, if you care about the sensitivity or the, the perception of the person on the other line or whether or not you could sleep at night, you may need to do some additional follow-up and approach it with tact. But there are some people that will just frankly go there shotgun mail, shotgun calls, shotgun text messages, and they may make 10 million bucks over the next couple of years. Um, so there is tremendous opportunity there. Um, unfortunately, it's it's created by devastation. But if we don't go there, if investor don't, what's going to happen? Like the government, the guy said no comment. If that's, you know, your president, they asked him about it yesterday, getting into a helicopter, he had no comment about 100 dead people and 1,000 missing people. So the government's not going to swoop in and, and rebuild those communities. The people that are devastated by it could, but some of them are just going to want to start fresh and, and, and get away. There's an opportunity there for investors to add value back to that community. And nobody else is probably willing and, and capable to do it. So I don't think we just have the opportunity. I think we as investors have an obligation to go there. Eric, let's be honest. We were all proud of Sleepy Joe for getting no comment out. Okay. So <laughs> that's like Steve's, Steve's screen freezing when it's his turn to answer. It was probably the, the best example of his 30 seconds. <laughs> but I, I will say this uh, on Leon's part. Okay. The question is about natural disaster. I think the situation in Maui is slightly different than just other natural disasters. I'll give an example. 2020, a derecho hit Iowa, Cedar Rapids, Des Moines area, much different natural disaster. It created a ton of motivation from sellers. They were not distraught because you were reaching out because a windstorm ripped off some siding and shingles. They were like, hey, thank you for reaching out about my vacant property that's already in tax default. Yes, I need to sell it and they were highly motivated and you were able to get good deals. The other aspect of this is, is because I've done a lot of deals in Hawaii. To Leon's part, 
if you are reaching out to them from the mainland, first and foremost, you're not going to be a welcome call just because you're calling from the mainland. They don't like to sell to people from the mainland, and especially in this circumstance. So I do think that is that is one thing to keep in mind. And the other part of this is with it specifically being on Maui, that is relatively rural. It's a lot of country. Um, some of these people have lost their houses, might not have anywhere to go. They might not even have electricity at this point. I don't even know if you're going to be able to make contact with some of these people. Um, so that plays a, a huge impact on this as well. It's a tragic scenario uh, of what happened over there. I think yeah, the classiest actually, way, being living in the 808 for three years, the classiest way that you can go about this, especially Maui. Maui is not Oahu. Oahu has a million plus in population. Maui is, last time I checked, was 550 in that range, maybe a little bit more now since I lived out there. Um, but the classiest way that you can approach this, local means 808. I mean, there's one area code. It's 808. And if you are calling from a mainland prefix they're more than likely not uh, going to answer that so if you can find a maui based or a hawaii based investor that has been there since day one working with local families uh, and you can offer support to that individual uh, you know financing maybe some jvs opportunities of that to me that would be your best bet because that individual uh, already has relationships there and it lives mm. in that community that's very important to the people of Hawaii. Yeah, and you know, going back to, you know, Leon was saying he's, he lived there for three years. We actually had our 10 year anniversary in Maui. And I remember specifically going to Lahaina, right? And so like, when my wife pulled us, like she was emotional. She's like, this is where we went to go buy those dresses for our girls as our, um, uh, you know, what we're gonna bring back uh, from our anniversary trip. So yeah, I mean, like there's, it's, it's, it's crazy to see like, that's where we were to see it look like that. I mean, it looks like a war zone. I mean, so, you know, when we're going back to what RJ talked about is that, you know, there's tornadoes that rip through the Midwest and floods and things of that nature that we have to, you know, you have to be sensitive as well. But this is different, man. This looks like a, you know, like, like a war zone that I would just encourage you to look at ways of offering solutions first. If you're going to look at, uh, to Eric's point, they're, they're going to need resources. So find a way um, to, to do it in a classy way. There we go. We we did a deep dive there. I fi I figured we would. Um, as always, the classiest member of our panel, Leon G. Barnes, uh, gonna award the point on that one. That being said, RJ, close second place on that because you you're right. Like both of you guys are right. Brewer's right too, and you know we're we're glad that Steve's internet is actually up now, so we got that going for us too. So all right. We have question number six. This one should be fun. I'm really excited for this one. Should we enforce specific performance when a seller changes their mind? All right, go ahead and start us off, Leon. Man, this is a, a, is a hot topic. In fact, I had a conversation about this yesterday about performance uh, of a seller. Um, I think that uh, real estate investors in general their language in their in the in the contract has uh, evolved over the years because there there are um, more competitors in the marketplace and absolutely um, if you have signed a contract and you are of able mind and body 
uh, unlike um, who we were referencing earlier uh, with a no comment, uh, then you should be held, held accountable to performance. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So we got one vote for you better go ahead and pack up the U-Haul. Let's go. All right, Brewer. What are your thoughts? First glance is yes. Now there, there are isolated incidents where um, someone in distress caught us. They made a rash or, you know, a, a rush decision and something in those circumstances have changed and now displacing them by forcing them to sell would cause way more harm than good. Um, in those situations, I think we have to take a step back and make sure that we're not just forcing specific performance um, for the monetary gain. But that's a very small percentage. Oftentimes when people try and back out, they may indicate that there's like some type of displacement or, or it's gonna cause them a lot of pain. But another, um, uh, objection has resurfaced, right? One that we didn't know about earlier that's now come up sort of post-contract. Um, so I think the dangerous precedent when we don't enforce specific inform performances, we lose a lot of integrity um, with our acquisitions people, or our salespeople. They're less likely to sometimes push to overcome objections that they know that two days later, the boss will just let them out of a contract. And then it's, I think it reduces our integrity too. If, if, if those terms are so negotiable that either of us can just back out, I think it gives them the investor permission to just walk away from a deal whenever they don't feel like closing as well. So I would say yes with this small sliver of sometimes when you got to use some discretion. All right. All right. RJ, what are your thoughts? This one's tricky. Um, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think if, if the seller is wanting to back out of the contract, then you did a really poor job of understanding why they want to sell you the property and you're not solving their problem. Um, when I look back at this, we have never actually gone after a seller for a specific performance. We do not put memorandums down on properties and we have no problem keeping sellers under contract and closing deals. Um, I think that stems from the way that we do acquisitions. Um, as much as Eric likes to joke about its order taking, um, it's about the fact that we have a relationship from the moment that we get ink on paper all the way through and, and we understand what's going on there. And, and this is a very small percentage of deals for us and more often than not, when a seller does want to back out, they explain the reason to us. It's for a legitimate reason. Um, and it's it's more like we're granting them the, the termination than it's some weird, awkward legal battle between buyer and seller. Jesus, it's like the Heart Melter uh, podcast over here with uh, RJ Bates right now. I love it. All right, Steve, what are your thoughts? So my preference is to not have to enforce it. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of other options in the Phoenix market. Um, it's either we enforce it uh, across the board or we don't. Right. So we have enforced it uh, in, in the past and we will continue to enforce it. It's a legally binding agreement between two competent adults to Leon's point. 
right? So you made the decision, we made the decision, we've done our end, you've decided because someone else came later on, they wanted a higher offer, they wanted to renegotiate, like that's not on the table here. So for us, we absolutely uh, do enforce specific performance. And I think what's funny is like, there's a lot of realtors in our community that's like, oh, these guys record memorandums, like these guys are dirtbags. How can they hold the seller to this purchase contract? To which I look at as like, most realtors won't let the sellers out of a listing agreement, right? I'm talking to this homeowner, they got a listing agreement and they wanna sell their house to us, but their realtor won't cancel the listing agreement. So for me, it's always humorous that realtors are high and mighty and they won't cancel a listing agreement and they judge us because we won't cancel our purchase contract. I've always felt like it was broken focus. Uh, you know, you're you're chasing a ghost. You're getting attorneys involved. You're you're gonna over what? Go do more deals. Like, is that one deal really that important to you? Is that one deal important to your acquisition manager who's expecting to get paid a commission on this deal? Potentially. <clears throat> I think there's a lot of got them to say, do a better job. Here's a copy of extreme ownership. Since y'all love to bring that up a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> there's a, there's well, a lot of good here. And, and I would say this, that the two things that RJ and Eric both said is Eric talked about process. RJ talked about trust. If you have built a great relationship and trust and your process is one that has informed that seller of, of, of able body and mind that this is a legally binding agreement and that trust and that process is on point, then they should absolutely perform based upon the process being right and the trust that was built unless a rare occurrence happens where that seller passes away before closing or something along those lines that is very rare comes up. I think that we're all kind of saying the same thing, but it goes back to what we're, we didn't really highlight, which is a proper pro process and great trust that's built up before that contract is signed. I got a quick question for you guys. I'm going to interject a personal experience since, you know, we all dislike realtors over here. So I'm going to give you guys this personal experience. I had a buyer that was that I was representing who was purchasing a property off the MLS that had been listed. And there was a wholesaler who had filed a memorandum. Now, this guy's not exactly known as being the sweetest wholesaler that anybody has ever met. Certainly not the caliber of individuals that I see on the screen in front of me. Now, we were two weeks away from foreclosure sale date. And he came back and said, I want 30 grand of her profit or I don't care. It can go to foreclosure. What are your guys' thoughts on that? That's the Is kind of move right there that brings uh, that. That's what gets us in trouble, right? That's where realtors say wholesalers but, are scum. That's where regulations are going to come down on us because that shouldn't be the case. And, and then quite frankly, this is why I don't think wholesalers should be putting memorandums down on properties. Because we sit here and say, no, you should, because we don't want a seller to back out from us when that's a very rare occurrence if you're halfway decent at, at acquisitions. And then you run into a scenario like that, they've lost their, their reason why they're doing this. And that's why they're not successful, guaranteed. 
RJ, so, you're so full of shit. Like you, you send out a hundred <laughs> offers to people that said, send me the contract I'll sign and you get 20 back. No, right? that's that bullshit. My, my, my contract to sign ratio is 73.7%. Okay. So 30% of the people said they were going to sign it and didn't sign it. They just backed out before you got it inked. Correct. So mortgage companies, let's use that as an example, right? You probably buy homes that are in some sense of pre-foreclosure. Like the is 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 someone defaulting on a mortgage and not making payment and upholding their obligations? Should the mortgage company just say, "Hey, we should have done a better job of underwriting the borrower when we extended the loan, and we're not going to enforce our our mortgage and and foreclose on the property"? Should they take the same approach to enforcing their mortgages? Isn't that what forbearance is called? And loan modification? They give them options, you don't, right? You don't just let them out of the mortgage. No. So we're, we're also not a lender. We're a buyer. This is a, a transaction. We're supposed obligations to be are obligations. Contracts are contracts, right? Like mm -hmm. at, at the end of the day, if if someone it depends what we define as backing out. If someone made a commitment, I, I do agree with you to a certain extent that I think there's people that rush through the process. They get somebody to sign something they don't really understand. And in the next few days, it becomes more real. And they're like, hey, this is not what I agreed to. Like, I do agree that there's some element of, of people in this business that are probably doing that. And I think jamming somebody for that is 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 foul play. The, the, the real estate agent holding someone accountable a listing agreement, it is what it is. But there's got to be consistency. You can't be a real estate agent and say, I have a legal binding listing agreement. If you sell it outside of this relationship, you owe me 6%. You can't be a buyer like yourself and say, hey, we execute on contracts. We don't back out and then say that a seller can. There just has to be consistency in the integrity of the business. And and it, saying it that just you just allow people. We, we have conversation. I mean, I could think of in the past year, maybe two sellers. Doing so that? out of the you, so seventy three percent contract to sign. How many signed contracts actually go to settlement? Right now we are at 70%. So what happens to the other 30%? One of you backed out. Yeah, we terminated. We're buying them sight unseen, virtual. When we go and we do our walkthrough and we say, you said good condition, this is not good, here's a termination. Okay. Yeah, you act like you've never heard of an inspection period and then a buyer backing out. That's a very normal thing that happens. But sellers, it. Just sellers never out on us, that does not happen. <laughs> never happens on the seller side, though. Just 30% 30 of the time, it's normal for it to happen for buyers backing out in inspection period, but no one as a seller ever backs out. No, no, we don't oh, have sellers good. terminating on us. No. Okay. Gotcha. Do you? Maybe yeah. you can hire me no, to come do your, your acquisition. Air. My God, the let me train your people. Out of thin air. I think you're full of shit. You're, you're not, you're, you're not, dude, you brought me a deal you wanted to novate. And I asked you about it three times. And you told me the lady backed out of the deal. What deal? The $700,000 house in Austin. No, 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 no. We terminated because there was a second lien for $70,000 that she said didn't exist. We terminated. Gotcha. 
See, no, no, no. I am looking forward That's to doing right. this live. And then we can deal with it. <laughs> Dude, this live is going to be amazing. Are we bringing <laughs> folding chairs? Because like, I just see some WWE SmackDown occurring. The bookends on my screen, like, we got red and redder over here. Like, I, I don't want folding chairs. I want full chairs that have to break. <laughs> There's there there is a nature of this business where there it's it's seller's remorse. It's it's part of every transaction that takes place. God bless you if it doesn't happen for you. Shame on me for insinuating that you're like every <clears> other <throat> person in the world. But buyers have remorse, <laughs> sellers have remorse. Jesus. It's a nature of the business. It's not necessarily an indication of a flawed process. And there's really no like I don't even see how the extreme ownership thing has any correlation whatsoever. Nice try. So, he, so my question <laughs> to you is, is that seller calls you with remorse and you're going to say, fuck you, specific performance. <laughs> it's an option. It's black or white in the contract. I said in the beginning of my thoughtful response in comparison to yours was that <laughs> there is an exception, right? Like what's, they, these, you got to understand a lot of the folks that sell to us are not operating in most cases under normal circumstances. They've told the mortgage company they're backing out. They've told their electrical company they're backing out. They've told the the the, the freaking township that they were going to fix the seven cars sitting in the front yard, and they backed out on that. They have a history and a track record of backing out of agreements. So when they call us and they say, I got the money, it's taken care of, I'm not moving forward, it's often a smoke and mirrors of them trying to delay the inevitable and if we don't dig to the root of the problem again, we're likely just going to we're going to let them off the hook and they're going to end up losing the house or they're going to end up in an inferior situation. People just, back out. They have sellers. Thank you for reminding me why I don't do deals in York, Pennsylvania. Yeah. So real quick, I just wanted to interject. I'm going to be late for dinner if I continue to let you two talk. So we're going we're gonna go, <laughs> to go until we're live. Man, I, I think it's four. I, I don't know. Steve, send out the memo on that. Anyways. I think we're six weeks away. All right. Beautiful. So obviously a very thought-provoking question. Two very different sides of the coin. Um, ironically enough, the literally the chat agrees with RJ on this. They don't agree with, with Eric on it. Um, well, no, 25% does, which is about the back out rate that RJ has on his contracts. So we got that going for us. Um I think that everybody kind of is coming from the same place and correct me if I'm wrong of trying to do the right thing for themselves, for their organization. And then also for the seller. I think that, I think we can kind of all agree on that. That being said, the chat says that RJ gets the point. So RJ gets the point, but because he was so patient through the whole thing and we have a tie, it's been a hot minute. You know, what's coming. I, I see it. it. He's got, he's got his head shaking. Leon G. Barnes is going to win today hey! for, being, for being the classiest member of PTD. We appreciate it, as I thought, always. I thought for sure you were going into fraction multiplication there for a second, nope. but it worked out. Nope. Hey, there's no differential <laughs> equations today for you, Leon. Don't worry. It's just I, a straight, I it's sure, a straight W. I want to make sure everyone's clear because Leon's so damn classy. He's who I'm hitting with the folding chair when we're going. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you can't hit my man, Leon. Come on. <laughs> He kind of uh, looks like Jimmy remind. Hart. Remember, who wasn't it Jimmy Hart who was like the manager on WWE? Like, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Hart? Did he, was Let he the guy that carried the microphone around? Are, are we all going to dress up all. as like our favorite character or what? 
I'm wearing I'll a chairproof vest, is all I know. Eric already knows this. I'll remind Steve of this. I'm not an easy win. Oh, <laughs> man. We we definitely came with it today. Um, I appreciate everybody tuning in and everybody watching this. Make sure that you like, subscribe, and you are tuned into Pardon the Disruptions YouTube uh, dedicated channel. We're going to go ahead and let everybody say goodbye. We'll start with Leon G. Barnes, the winner for today. Great show, as always. Leon G. Barnes with the Collective Genius. Guys, uh, I feel like we've got like three more questions in us if we had time. So I'd love to keep going, but we'll just continue this conversation next week. See you then. Absolutely. And hopefully Steve will actually invite you back because you know how he likes to put you in timeout in between wins. It's a really weird thing. <laughs> I don't know. I've, try I've tried for you, man. I have. Brewer, say bye to the people. Yeah, I had fun today. I actually enjoy the spirited conversations, and and uh, I'll concede. Listen, if RJ gets the the, the vote by way of popular consensus, I, I'll I'll concede. Right? Um, I do think he has a, a seller here and there back out, but uh, I'll take his word for it. Um, excited to be back. It was fun. I enjoy the, the the dialogue, and I look forward to next week. Absolutely, we're glad that you're back, Brewer. You know, uh, I'm not just <laughs> fair. <laughs> RJ, say <laughs> bye to the people. So I've been looking at this whale club because I didn't know about <laughs> this whale club. And I see, I'm thinking on logos. And the logo is an orca. And upon review, an orca is actually a dolphin. So if you want to join the dolphin club, DM Steve Train <laughs> Dolphin so you can be a dolphin just like Steve Train. <laughs> uh, absolutely amazing all right steve go ahead and say bye to the people steve train real estate disruptors we solve sales problems and i just want to say i i really apologize for rj and eric's behavior so I mean, <laughs> no, thank you, you leon for keeping it classy it's always fun hanging out with leon and i guess what well, you know We'll Didn't do, you we'll, just we'll say you're going to smash him in the face with a chair yes. on the live? Yes. Not in the face. I'm yes. respectful. 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 Oh, you're going to break the man's back. Okay, thanks. Respectfully. <laughs> oh, man. And we still worked in a respectfully. Man, that's when you know the show is on point. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. We will see you next week. We hope you had as much fun as we did chopping it up. We'll see you next week.